0: Well, I know that was a longer-than-usual children's sermon, but I hope you were listening all the way through as it helps lead into where we're going this morning, and we are starting in Leviticus, a book we don't read out of very often on Sunday mornings. Um, we'll get a good, good taste of it today, though. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 17, and as we... As we read, as we read Leviticus 16, 1 through 17, you can be thinking about two things. One, why God was commanding the people to do what he's commanding them to do. And then secondly, why we don't do that anymore. So be thinking on both of those as we read Le- Leviticus 16, 1 through 17, which can be found on page 92 in your pew Bibles, or 179 in the large print Bibles. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for all that you have given to us, the ways that you have provided for us, not based on anything that we deserve, but based on your own goodness and grace and generosity and love. God, we thank you for the Bible that we have to read. We thank you that we can know you. That you have revealed yourself to us through Scripture. that you have revealed yourself most clearly to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that today, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would have already prepared our hearts to hear this word, that we would be ready to respond that we would be um, that we would be moved to faith in Jesus that we would be those who persevere in life and in love and in grace and mercy or we would be those who understand that in all things you are to be worshiped and you are to be glorified for you alone are worthy pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 16 says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. That's important. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come, whenever he chooses, into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by a lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. I know that's a lot, but I hope you're able to at least begin thinking about why God might have commanded those things, and again, why we don't do them today. And for a hint, we'll turn to Mark chapter 14 verses 22 to 26, which can be found on page 826 in your pew Bibles or 1583 of the large print. Mark 14:22 to 26 while they were eating. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then we get to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, through five, chapter 5, verse 10. Which really all does hold together, even though there's a chapter break in the middle of it. Just ignore that. Just go right on through. Start in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The writer to the Hebrews has been talking about who Jesus is. And why we should hold on to him and not let him go no matter what. And he continues his argument this way. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet... He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Then he goes on to explain, As Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be High priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at Hebrews 4 and 5 today, there's something we really have to keep in mind. And that is who God is, His holiness, His otherness. The fact that we are not just like him. God is the creator of all that exists. And it gets really easy in uh, modern times, I would say, but really most times, to get so flippant about talking about God. You hear his name uh, uttered when people have no concept of who he is at all, and the name just comes out. And so it's easy to think of him kind of as a punchline to a joke or in really casual terms. And yet if we want to understand the book of Hebrews at all, if we want to understand our place in, the, in all of existence at all, it is important that we understand who God is. The reason, and we read that uh, first passage of the from Leviticus, the reason that it was such a big deal. You saw all the, all the ceremony that had to go on, uh, the things that people had to wear in order to go into this part of the temple. All of it had to do with God being holy and people being sinful. That God is the creator of everything that exists, that he set it all up and he said, this is the way that life works. And every single person has gone away from that and has broken the whole thing. And so we've messed up our relationship to God. We've messed up our relationship to each other. We've messed up our relationship to the creation. We've messed up our relationship even to our own selves. And every person feels it at some level. That things are not the way they're supposed to be. Not in our relationship (laughs) with each other or with the creation or with our creator. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things have been messed up, and the only way back is to go back to the source, the source of all life, to go back to God himself. The problem is we can't go back as long as we're imperfect. We can't go back as long as we are unholy, which we all are. And so what we see in all this elaborate stuff from the the temple, we see this priest representing the people going in and making offerings and sacrifices and offering prayers to God on behalf of the people. And he has to do it in the way that God has set up. And we saw several times at the very beginning of Leviticus 16 that there are those who tried to go in whenever they wanted to. They didn't do it God's way. They did it their own way. And they died. Because whenever we try to do things our own way and not God's way, Death is the result. If he is where life comes from and we want to do things separate from him, there's only one possible result. We have to go back to him. We have to go back to the author of life. We have to go back to the giver of life. And the only way back is the way that he has provided. We can't do it on our own. And so all these elaborate rituals had... uh, been commanded, you have to be covered in a certain way, your body has to be clean in a certain way, you have to have these particular sacrifices, because the wages of sin, we're told in Romans, is death. And so an animal actually had to die in place of the people who deserved it, which would all point forward to the ultimate sacrifice. This is what we were, the question we first asked before reading Leviticus is, why did they do this? It was so that a sinful people could approach a holy God who would be able to then hear their prayers, who would be able to offer forgiveness even through uh, the death of another. Why don't we do it anymore? Because all of that was not really taking care of the problem. It was pointing to the one who would take care of the problem. And so over and over, and we'll see this more as we go through uh, the book of Hebrews, it'll give more detail, but just for now, that all of this is pointing to Jesus, the one who says, it says is our high priest. Unlike all the high priests that went before, you saw in Leviticus, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. They weren't holy either. And then only after they had offered sacrifices for their sins could they then offer sacrifices for the people. That Jesus wasn't like that. He is so much better than every other high priest that had ever gone before. Because not only is he able to represent us to God in a way that nobody else ever has, he's able to represent God to us in a way the priest couldn't either. That This goes both ways. He's fully divine, fully human. And in one person, we can see who God is, what he's like, the way, that he, uh, the way that he cares for his people. And he identifies with humanity. Even as the son of God, he came and it says he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This is, this is a tricky bit. Because it almost sounds like he was made holy, that he was made sinless after he did certain things, as though he wasn't always perfect. But that's not the meaning of perfect here. Jesus needed to be the perfect sacrifice. He was already sinless. He was already holy. But he needed to be the perfect sacrifice. In other words, the one that we needed And the way that he could be the sacrifice that we needed is if he could completely identify with us. And he needed to learn, not that he didn't already know things, but he needed to learn experientially what it is to be in the face of temptation and obey God. And in all the places where we don't obey God in the face of temptation, maybe able to think of five examples from this morning, (laughs) where you're tempted in certain directions you know what God says but you go the other way in all those places Jesus stayed faithful he remained faithful and it's through this that he became not sinless he was already sinless it's through this that he became our perfect sacrifice the one who would take away all our sins we could not do that for each other. He's the only one who could do that for us. And so he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Because of this. Because he is that one. He is the source of salvation. He is our perfect sacrifice. He is our high priest who knows what it's like to go through what we're going through. And yet, pass the test, we all fail. This gives us two two things that we are to do then. Once we come to this understanding that we are so far separated from God, and yet he's our only hope, that Jesus is the only way back, then what two things do we need to do? One, it says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. If this is where our faith is, Let's not hold that lightly, and if something else comes along, well, maybe we'll try that. No. If we understand that this is our only hope, if this is the way that God has provided, and that is, that is our only hope back, we must hold tight to that. So let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And secondly, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You can imagine, you can imagine in Israel where people would go into the temple in the Holy of Holies when they weren't supposed to and they would drop dead. That could cause a little bit of fear for anybody else, you know, the next guy who's supposed to go in. Right? This is why you have, even before that, you have uh, the people at Mount Sinai, and Moses is going to go up and speak with God, and the people say, you, know, you go up and talk to him. We don't want to go close. If we even go close, we're going to die. If we don't have a little bit of that kind of attitude in how we approach God, you may not understand what it means that God is holy. But, but rather than having to stay away, Jesus has made a way that we can not only approach him, that we can approach God's throne, the God of the universe. We can approach him, we can even approach him in confidence. Knowing that yes, our sins deserve death, but, that debt has already been paid and God is just and he will not punish us for something that has already been paid and so we can approach him with confidence and it even calls it God's throne of grace giving to us what we don't deserve that we may receive mercy withholding the punishment that we do deserve and find grace getting what we don't deserve in our, to help us in our time of need. This is the message of the gospel. We hear it in terms of kind of the high priesthood of ancient Israel. But this is the gospel. That we have a way that has been made for us to be right with God, for us to get back to the author of life, that we can have life and life forever. And that way has been provided in Jesus. But it's, only, but it's only for those who respond in faith and who hold firmly to this faith. The only way to do that is if we understand that there is a big separation between God and us. As long as we think that all we have to do is try a little bit harder, we'll never make it. If all we think is we have to just be a little bit better We'll never make it. It's when we understand that we are completely helpless on our own that we understand our need for Jesus, for him to be the one that makes that way for us. We can't do it on our own. So I'm going to add one more thing. It's not anything that's not said in here, but it goes along with it as by way of application. Yes, we need to hold firmly to the faith uh, that we confess. And yes, we need to approach the throne of grace with confidence in Jesus, each one of us. But if you know somebody who has been staying away from church, or who's been staying away from God because they feel their own unworthiness, I'm not good enough, will you please share with them the good news that Jesus came exactly for people who aren't good enough? That's what the whole gospel is about. This is why when we have the the parable that Jesus tells of the two people who went to the temple and one of them stands there and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. And that guy over there is saying, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which of these two goes home justified before God? It's the one who understands that apart from God, he has no hope. This is good news for all of us who know. That in ourselves we have no hope. We please share that good news with those who need to hear it. And secondly, along the same lines, for many the expectation is: <clears throat> were I to go back to God again, I would be received kind of like the older brother in the uh, the parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son, and that older brother who kind of thinks, <clears throat> yeah, fine, he can come back, but boy, I mean, he should have known better than to do what he did, and I, you know, if I had my way, he'd sure pay for it. But Jesus doesn't tell that parable to say that, that, that God is like the older brother. He says that God is like the Father. The Father who sees the Son, who has lived in all kinds of ways contrary to what the Father wants, and yet... When he sees him on the horizon coming home, the father runs to him and embraces him and puts his robe on him and puts a ring on his finger. You are welcome. You are part of the family, and I'm so glad that you are home. That is is how we are received at the throne of grace. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us also share with others this good news that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Making the way for people who deserve death to be connected with the giver of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.